This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This week on Case Closed, our hour of old-time radio crime begins with This Is Your FBI. We'll hear the great deception, their story from September 3rd, 1948. After that, it's the Crime Club and Coney Island Nocturne. That story was first heard July 10th, 1947. The Equitable Life Assurance Society presents This Is Your FBI. This is your FBI, the official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. In the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States... Nearly four million members are banded together to build better futures for themselves and their families. Their reasons for becoming Equitable Society policyholders are many, but certainly among the most unselfish and far-sighted Equitable Society members are those parents who have seen the wisdom of an Equitable Education Fund. Fathers and mothers, in just 14 minutes, the Equitable Society will tell you how to make sure that your children get the funds necessary for the education you want them to have through an equitable education fund. Tonight's FBI file, The Great Deception. That there is an unprecedented crime wave engulfing the nation at the present time is an indisputable fact. The reasons for that crime wave are many and varied, and the ripples of that wave touch your daily life wherever you live or wherever you work. Some years ago, when we were fighting a war for our survival, we seemed to understand that if there existed anywhere in the world any brand of tyranny, if in one isolated spot the freedom of human beings was threatened then ours, too, was likewise threatened. That was an accepted fact, because the truth of it was proven. It is an equally solid fact that any crime anywhere in the world affects you. It affects not only your daily life, but it also affects the nation. For it is written in stone on the facade of the building which houses the Federal Bureau of Investigation in Washington, D.C., that no free government can survive that is not based on the supremacy of the law. And if the day should ever come when crimes can be committed with impunity, then the freedom of the nation, your freedom, will be gone forever. Tonight's file opens in the living room of a nicely furnished home located in the suburb of a large eastern city. It is mid-afternoon. One of the occupants of this dwelling, Mrs. Peter Clayton, is arranging flowers in a vase as the front door opens. Elizabeth! Peter! Hello, my dear. Oh, Peter, darling. Oh, darling. Oh, my, it's so good to see you. I'm so 
happy to have you home. I looked for you at the airport. Oh, I was furious about that. I didn't get your wire until ten minutes ago. I sent it when we landed in Newfoundland. Newfoundland? Well, I certainly should have gotten it. You know, I have a good mind to call those people. Oh, forget it, darling. Oh. Don't you want to hear about the trip? Oh, of course. How is Paris? Well, I'm too tired to go into all of the details now, but I'm afraid the trip was a failure. Well, what do you mean? What happened? It's a long story. Come on upstairs. I'll tell you about it. All right, dear. Well, at least the trip was successful in one way. You did put on some weight. What makes you say that? Oh, that suit you're wearing. It's tight on you. I bought this suit in New York at one o'clock. Today? Uh-huh. But why? Why did you need another suit? Well, I couldn't very well come out here in an army uniform. Oh, Peter, what are you talking about? What were you doing with an army uniform? I wore it to get out of France. But where did you get it? Off the body of a soldier I killed. Meanwhile, at the local FBI field office, Special Agent Jim Taylor approaches the desk of Agent Bob Hudson. Very busy, Bob. No, Jim. I just got to read this report on the Lester case. Why, what's up? Oh, I was in to see the SAC. He wants us to work together on something that's just come in. Mm, fine. What kind of a case is it? Uh, we're not sure. I'd better give you this thing the way the SAC gave it to me, huh? Okay, Jim. Shoot. An unidentified man was found dead in a garage in Paris. Paris, France? That's right. From his clothes, the Paris police were able to guess that he was an American. All of the clothes were from stores in this country. I see. The Paris newspapers ran a picture of this unidentified dead American in the hope that somebody might be able to let them know who he was. Mm -hmm. Well, the day the picture appeared in the papers, a major in the United States Army recognized the person, identified him as a deserter. Well, how do we get in on this, Jim? Oh, I'll come to that, Bob. The Army airmailed the fingerprints of the dead man to Signal Corps headquarters in Washington. They sent the prints over to IDENT to confirm the major's identification. Now, let me see if I understand all the facts so far. Okay. A man is found dead in a Paris garage, mm. and we have identified the prints as belonging to an army deserter. That's right. Now, what's the rest of the story? Well, the Paris police, in checking every possible lead, came across something that puzzled them. The dead American's name was George A. Perry. His uh, army serial number was... Uh, uh, 1206514. And the Paris police found that a sergeant, George A. Perry, with that same serial number, returned to this country on an army plane from Paris yesterday. Well, well, how could that happen? Well, that's what had them puzzled. They checked the army orders, which were on file at the airport in Paris. They found out they were counterfeit. Have we got a copy of those orders? Not yet, but we're getting a copy of them. Also, the uh, civilian clothes that were found on the dead soldier. Well, what do you make of this whole thing, Jim? Well, Bob, I think it's probable that whoever murdered Perry switched clothes with him, forged those orders, and then came home in Perry's uniform. Mm. That makes sense. Uh, technically, we're looking for this man, not for murder, but on a charge of illegal wearing of the uniform. That's right, Bob. Have we got any idea what this man we're looking for looks like? No, none yet. Well, what do you think we ought to do first, then, Jim? I've already called the airport here. I've got a list of the people who returned on that plane from Paris from them. How about addresses? They were all Army personnel, so locating them shouldn't be too difficult. At least a couple of them should remember what he looked like. Uh-huh. Then we'll send the description down to Washington, let them check the general appearance file, and send us as many pictures as they have. Oh, that'll work if the killer's a known desperate criminal. Oh, that's right. Jim, when do you want to start checking the passengers on that plane? Right now, Bob. Here, let's split this list in half and start making some phone calls. <laughs> More coffee, Peter? No, thank you, dear. 
You're not eating much breakfast. Well, it's so long since I've seen an American paper, I'd much rather read. Peter. Yes, dear. Can I consult you on a few engagements? <laughs> All right, dear. The Shelleys want us Thursday night for cocktails. Now, what'll I tell them? Tell them we'll be there. Oh, good. Now, the Flippins want us for dinner on Saturday. Well, I'm not too sure about that. I may be tied up Saturday. On the Paris business? No, darling. That book is closed. Oh, I hope that's true. What do you mean? I hope you're in the clear. Elizabeth, I've told you a dozen times, no one can possibly connect me with the killing. But you were that sergeant's partner, weren't you? Well, a very silent partner. But, Peter, when they investigate his death, they're bound to find out about his black market operation. Well, it still won't lead to me. Yes, but, Peter, you Look, said... I will have some more coffee now, dear. And as for dinner at the Flippins, tell them we accept. <laughs> Jim. Yes, Bob? We just received a report from the Paris police. Oh, what is it? Well, they conducted a further investigation on that army deserter's activities. Oh, what'd they find? Well, he was a pretty active figure in the black market. He was also believed to have a partner, a man who had come from America to superintend his operations. Sort of an efficiency expert? That's it. Paris police have any idea who that man might be? No. Uh, how have you been making out with the plane passengers? Well, I showed them all the pictures Washington sent to us. Out of the general appearance file. Any luck? Yes, three of the passengers all picked this picture here. Hmm. Yeah, they say this is the man who came back on the plane with them. Who is he? His name is Peter Colco. Well, we got a record on him? Yeah, but I don't know how much good it'll do us. Well, why not? Well, for one thing, Caldwell's arrest record doesn't show anything since 1939. In addition to that, we're not even sure what his name is. What do you mean, Jim? Well, he's been arrested under the names Calhoun, Carroll, Carlson, Crawford, Clinton, Crenshaw. Oh, I see. So I think it's pretty obvious that he's using some name now other than Peter Caldwell. Mm -hmm. However, we can assume that he's here in town. Why? Well, here is clothes. They were all bought here. Are those the clothes he put on the dead soldier? Yeah, they just arrived from Paris. Any identification? No, none on the suit, but... Here, Bob, take a look at these shoes. Oh. They're custom-made. Now, take a look at these marks inside the tongue here on the left shoe. They don't mean anything to me, Jim. Well, custom shoemakers, Bob, have their own method of marking shoes. So I think we'd better take these to one of the custom shoemakers here in town. Where do you want to start? Well, there's a bootmaker right down on the next block. I'm going over and see him. If he can tell us who made these shoes, we might find the murderer. I didn't expect you'd still be home. I thought you were going to the office. I changed my mind. I phoned instead. Is something wrong? Yeah. What is it? I was informed I had a caller at my office. He was from the FBI. Oh. Talked to my secretary, asked questions. About Paris? Yes. Then they must suspect. That's right. And you were so sure they didn't know? Yes. What are you going to do, Peter? I'm just trying to think that out. It's a little difficult. Somehow you never realize a thing like this can happen to you. Have you spoken to your lawyer? Oh, hardly. Well, why not? He would certainly Elizabeth, be... my lawyer knows me as a legitimate businessman. I don't think it'd be much help on a murder charge. Well, then who can you turn to? No one. Oh, but darling, that means everything we've built up for nine years. Our friends, our home, our respectability. They're all gone. That's right, dear. Oh, I'm afraid there's only one solution. 
Peter, what do you mean? You know what I mean. There's only one way out. I'm going to take it. We will return in just a moment to tonight's case from the files of your FBI. Very soon now, millions of eager young Americans will answer the summons of the college bells, bringing in a new academic year, years that most men consider the happiest of their lives. But college years are not only happy years, they're profitable ones too. It's a fact that higher education means higher income. Actually, the average college graduate earns $72,000 more during his working years than the average American. Think that over, Bob. Well, naturally, I want my boy to get a college education, Mr. Keating, but it seems kind of early to start worrying about it now. He's just halfway through grammar school. That's where you're wrong, Bob. The sooner you begin planning your boy's college education, the better chance he'll have of getting it. So, the sooner you get the facts about an equitable education fund, the better. Well, what sort of fund is that, Mr. Keating? It's a plan offered by the Equitable Life Assurance Society to make certain that your children get the funds necessary for the education you want them to have, regardless of what happens to you. Here are three things about the plan you should consider. First, you start when your children are young and spread their educational costs over 10 or 15 years instead of taking a licking in four. Second, when your boy or girl is ready for education... The money is ready and waiting for him right there in the Equitable Education Fund. Third, this equitable plan works whether you live or die. If you are totally or permanently disabled, the fund continues to build up without any further payments. If you die, the Education Fund becomes fully established immediately. Well, say, Mr. Keating, whom do I see about starting one of these plans? An Equitable Society representative, I suppose. Right, Bob. Get in touch with an equitable man soon. Or send a postcard, care of this station, to the Equitable Life Assurance Society. Above all, don't delay. Start an equitable education fund right away to make sure that when the college bells ring out, your boy or girl will be able to answer the call. And now back to the FBI file, The Great Deception. Tonight's case from the files of your FBI again illustrates the important fact that there is no geography in crime. A criminal operates when and where he finds the proper accumulation of evil. That may be on the other side of the world, or it may be across the street from where you listen to this program. That is one of the reasons why the Federal Bureau of Investigation cooperates in bringing you this series of programs, so that you, the law-abiding citizen, may know that crime can come anywhere at any time. Your FBI does not want you to be constantly suspicious of everyone or anything, but it does want you to be alert. In the words of director J. Edgar Hoover, wherever law and order break down, there you will find public indifference. And wherever law and order break down, there you will also find the FBI. But public indifference can do more to aid the criminal than your FBI can do to harm him. 
For that reason, it is important to you individually and to the nation as a whole that all of you bend your every effort in aiding the forces of law and order to conquer the current crime wave. Without you, that crime wave cannot be conquered. Tonight's file continues at the local FBI field office. Bob, we're making progress. I've covered a lot of ground since this morning. I see you've still got Caldwell's shoes. Yeah, I went over to the bootmakers on the next block after I left here. He recognized the shoes. You mean he made them? No, but he said they looked to him like shoes that were turned out by a custom shoemaker named Hampton. Uh-huh. So I went over to Hampton's shop. I found out this pair of shoes was made for one of their customers. Hmm, did they tell you his name? It's a Peter Clayton. He's a regular customer. Then they had his address. No, the record showed that he'd always picked up his shoes. He's never had them delivered. Then we're stymied again. Not this time, Bob. I played a hunch. I had the office check passports for me. They found that a Peter Clayton had been issued a passport with a visa for France. That was a good hunch, Jim. The French embassy showed me Clayton's request. His stationery had a Broadway address on it. It was Clayton's office, so I went there. Did you see him? No, he wasn't in, but I spoke to his secretary and got his home address. Where does he live? At North Centerville. I called the office here for help, and the place is now under surveillance. Well, that's about an hour's ride out in the island, isn't it? It is by train, but we can make it a little quicker than that in a car. I'll get it. Special Agent Taylor speaking. Mr. Taylor, this is Sergeant Fulton out in North Centerville. Oh, yes, Sergeant. I have a report for you. Fine, let's have it. One of our patrolmen called to report a minute ago. Part of his detail is the 12th Street Bridge. Yes. He reported that someone jumped off the bridge and committed suicide. It was Peter Clayton. Right over here, Mr. Taylor. This is where the man jumped. How do you know that, officer? Well, this is where I found his clothes in the suicide note. No, I see. You, uh, you didn't see him go off the bridge, did you? No, I didn't. Did you, uh, just stumble onto his effects? Oh, no. I was told to come here by headquarters. Oh? They received a phone call from a man who said he happened to be passing by and saw someone jump in the river. Tell me, do you know where this man called from? Yeah, a place at the end of the bridge. Joe's Diner. It's open all night. I see. What did you do with Clayton's effects? I brought them to his wife, and she said the clothes belonged to him. Mm -hmm. What was her reaction? She read the note and collapsed. I see. Officer, how far is uh, Clayton's house from here? Oh, just a few blocks down the road. Thanks. I think I'll get over and interview the widow. Just a minute. Mrs. Clayton? Yes. Are you from the police? I'm a special agent of the FBI, Mrs. Clayton. Oh. Here are my credentials. Please come in. Thank you. I'm awfully sorry to have to bother you at it sounds like. They, have they found anything yet? No, ma'am. Mrs. Clayton, I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. Yes, surely. What is it you want? Do you still have the note that the police brought you? The note Peter wrote? Yes, ma'am. It's there, on the table. May I have it, please? Will you return it? Yes, yes, surely. Mr. Taylor? Yes? The things the police told me about my husband, are they true? I'm afraid so, yes. Uh, I just can't conceive it. As far as I knew, well, he was just in a regular business. I understand. 
Well, I think I'll be going now. Thank you, Mrs. Clayton, for your courtesy. Hello? Hello, Peter. Elizabeth, where are you calling from? I'm in a phone booth in the drugstore. Ah, how's it working? Better than you even thought it would. Fine. The man from the FBI was at the house. Oh, what did he want? He wanted to get the suicide note you left on the bridge. Did you give any special reason? No. Uh-huh. You let him have it? Yes. Did he sound convinced about my death? Completely. You're in the clear. Only temporarily, I'm afraid. Now, what do you mean? Well, when my body isn't found, they'll get suspicious. But inasmuch as this was just a delaying action, we'll now have plenty of time to really disappear. How long do you want me to stay here? How soon can you get away? Any time. Hire a car and chauffeur and drive right up. You have the directions. Yes. Is the hotel crowded? You don't think I'd come here if it was. This is a winter resort. It's out of season. In fact, it's a perfect spot for a man who has just committed suicide. <laughs> finished your report on the Clayton case yet? No, Bob. I've been busy most of the day. You've been assigned to a new case yet? No, not yet. Jim, will you go along with me on something? What is it? Will you hold back the Clayton report for a little while? (laughs) You were a little suspicious of that one, too. Yes. I went over Clayton's record last night. He just doesn't seem to be the kind of a man who commits suicide. That's the same conclusion I've come to. Then I guess I won't look too foolish when I tell you that I spent most of the day at the morgue. There's been no trace of Clayton's body. Makes our theory look even better. Uh-huh. I spent most of my time today at the lab. I had the handwriting experts check the suicide note and the signature on those forged army orders. It's their opinion they were both written by the same man. With that evidence, they could convict Clayton on a murder charge. Yes, if he's alive. Oh, excuse me. Special Agent Hudson. This is Sergeant Fulton up in North Centerville. Is Mr. Taylor in? Just a moment. It's Sergeant Fulton for you, Jim. Oh, yeah. I had the suicide note delivered to him so he could return it to Mrs. Clayton. Thanks, Bob. Hello, Sergeant. I went out to return that suicide note, Mr. Taylor, as soon as your messenger gave it to me. Mrs. Clayton is still hysterical? I don't know. She was gone. What? A neighbor said she left an hour ago with luggage. I don't like that. Sergeant, uh, wait for us at her house. We'll be right out. Bob, Mrs. Clayton left her home this morning, complete with luggage. Uh-oh. Come on, we better drive out there and find out where she went. <laughs> Bob, I've just finished talking to the neighbor who told the sergeant she saw Mrs. Clayton leave. According to her, Mrs. Clayton was picked up by a car and chauffeur. Well, it wasn't her own car. I checked. Theirs are still in the garage. Oh, it's a friend's car. I don't think it is, Bob. Not with a chauffeur. I have a hunch it was rented. Oh, but there's no place in North Centerville where you can rent a car and a chauffeur. No, but there are plenty of those places in town. Let's get back to the office and start checking. Found the place, Bob. It's the Ajax Auto Rental Service. Did they know where she was going? No, but they did say she rented a car for 12 hours, starting at 10.30 this morning. Well, it could be that her trip would take six hours each way. Yeah. That means the chauffeur won't be back until 10.30 tonight. It also means we've got seven and a half hours to sit here and wait. Jim, we've got to assume now that she's on her way to meet her husband. Now, the only thing we can do until we hear from that chauffeur is send out another alarm over the wire on Clayton. No, sir. 
No, sir, we can do more than that. You just reminded me of something. Why, what's that? We've still got Clayton's picture, haven't we? Why, surely. Why? I've got an idea. Let's get that picture and take a little ride. More coffee, Peter? No, thank you, dear. You're not eating much breakfast. <laughs> I've missed that these past few days. Why? You're saying I'm not eating much breakfast. Well, it's true. You always read your paper. And you always keep talking. <laughs> All that's missing now is our engagements for the week. Oh, heavens. What? I just remembered. I never canceled our dinner engagement with the Flippins. Darling, inasmuch as I'm presumably at the bottom of the river, I think they'll understand. Peter? Yes, dear? When are we leaving this hotel? You just arrived. Is it safe for us to stay here? Mm, temporarily, yes. After all, I changed my name, my appearance. That's true. Peter, I still think I should write to them. Who? The Flippins. After all, I'm not at the bottom of the river. <laughs> Who's that? Oh, probably valet service. I called them. Will you let them in, dear? I'll get my dress. Okay. Yes? Hello, Mr. Clayton. I'm uh, afraid you have the wrong room. My name is Cameron. It's been a number of things before that. We're special agents of the FBI. We have a warrant here for the arrest of you and your wife. You can't prove anything. I'm pretty sure we'll be able to prove that you didn't commit suicide, and neither did that soldier in Paris. <laughs> Peter Clayton, before being extradited, was turned over to local authorities who wanted him on a swindling charge. These authorities sentenced him to life imprisonment. His wife, Elizabeth, was given a five-year sentence in state court on charges of conspiracy. The suspicions entertained by the two special agents of your FBI that Peter Clayton had not actually committed suicide were investigated and found to be true. Special Agent Taylor learned from the policeman who had gotten the telephone call reporting the suicide that the call had come from Joe's Diner, an all-night lunchroom located near the bridge. When Taylor went to the diner and showed Peter Clayton's picture to the counterman, he identified Clayton as the man who had made the telephone call reporting the suicide. Armed with the knowledge that Clayton was still alive, Taylor then proceeded to the address supplied by the auto rental service, the address to which they had taken Mrs. Clayton. And thus, a murder committed some 3,500 miles away... A wanton murder that took place in Paris was solved through the cooperation of the Paris Surette, of the local police of North Centerville, and of your FBI. Cooperation that today makes the Federal Bureau of Investigation part of an international force which is fighting the criminals of the world every hour of every day. In just a moment, we will tell you about next week's exciting case from the files of your FBI. Now one last question on the Equitable Education Fund. Uh, Mr. Keating, how old should a child be when you start one of these plans for him? Any age, from one week old on up. Remember, the younger the child is when you start his Equitable Education Fund, the lower the yearly cost is to you, because you spread the total amount over more years. So the sooner you act, the better. 
get in touch with your Equitable Society representative right away. Or send a postcard, care of this station, to the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Next week, we will dramatize another case from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. A case history of the operations of a group of female bandits. Its subject, robbery. Its title, Deadlier Than the Male. The incidents used in tonight's Equitable Life Assurance Society's broadcast are adapted from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. Tonight, the music was composed and conducted by Frederick Steiner. The author was Jerry Lewis. Your narrator was William Woodson, and Special Agent Taylor was played by Stacey Harris. This is Your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. This is Larry Keating speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community and inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time when the Equitable Life Assurance Society will bring you another thrilling story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Deadlier than the male on This Is Your FBI. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Crime Club. I'm the librarian. Coney Island Nocturne. Yes, we have a story for you. Come right over. Ah, you're here. Good. Take the easy chair by the window. Comfortable? The manuscript is on this shelf. Here it is, Coney Island Nocturne. The very absorbing story of fingers that were nailed by death. Let's look at it under the reading lamp. When Mike Donahue brought Helen O'Malley to Coney Island for an evening of fun, he had only the best intentions. Naturally, he was an officer of the law, a detective. And she was his fiancée. But three hours later, they stood in the middle of a crowded, noisy carnival street. They were faced with a crisis of catastrophic proportions. Mike, I'm afraid I'll never understand you. How many times have I told you never to keep your wallet in your hip pocket? Yeah. If you were just another palooka who didn't know any better, then, well, all right. But you're a member of the pickpocket squad. You're supposed to know. Yeah. Haven't you got anything to say? How much money have you got on you? Enough to get us home. Helen, you're not going to tell the boys at the station house. No, dear. I still expect to marry you someday. I want congratulations, not sympathy. Yeah, well... Hey, Mike. Uh, hmm? Who is that? Look over there, honey, and you'll see a character. Hiya, Mike. I never thought I'd be glad to see you. Benny Gould. You recognize me, don't you? Put me over, pal. I've done a 60-day stretch in a workhouse, and I ain't a bit tired. <laughs> what are you doing down here, Benny? I thought your territory was Times Square. I got a job. I'm going straight, Mike. You don't say. Yep. Got fed up looking through bars. So now I'm a barker for a show up the street. Hey, who's the uh, tomato? Helen O'Malley, Chipmunk. 
Do you consider me fruit or vegetable? Huh? Oh, <laughs> it's a riot, Mike. Is it uh, permanent? Put your hands behind your head, Benny. What? I'm going to frisk you. Now, do you want to put them up, or do I have to coach you? I put them up. You can cut nothing on me. I'm on a level now, Mike. You're an old-time pickpocket, Benny. You know, where you cops make a label stick. Once a crook, always a crook. Mike, he wouldn't have your wallet. Maybe not, Helen. But this dip can pick the whiskers off a sleeping cat and get away with it. Okay, Benny. Thanks. Come on, Helen. Hey, wait a minute. Was she kidding about your wallet? You're blocking traffic. Come on, you don't have to be ashamed to tell me about it. I used to be in the business. Uh, you wouldn't be giving it to us now, would you? Look, I know every dip on the island. Give me a chance, maybe I'll get your wallet back for you. Why, Chipmunk? Because I'm a good citizen, that's why. All right, Benny, let's go. Hey, what is this, a pinch? You were going to take me to the wallet, weren't you? i got to find it first, Mike. Suppose we do that together, huh? Uh-uh. I ain't putting my finger on nobody. If you want your property, then you'll wait till I nab the guy that's got it, and then I'll bring it to you. Don't argue, Mike. Be practical. That's what I say, sister. I'm doing him a favor. But how is it done, Chipmunk? Coney Island's a big place. Well, I contact a few of the dips, and they spread the word around, that's all. Okay, Benny. That's going to take time, Mike. Uh, meet me at the beach at the end of the boardwalk in a couple hours, 11 o'clock. And don't follow me. We won't. Mike wants his wallet, and I want Mike to be happy. We'll meet you on the beach at 11 o'clock. Boardwalk and oh, I think we ought to adopt Benny, don't you? It was his suggestion. Well, we're not exactly alone, Helen. Are you going to worry about that girl all night? Well, she might be watching us. She's fast asleep. Besides, she's a good thirty feet away. Come on, my bashful Romeo, give me a. Hmm? It's only me, Mike. I didn't want to keep you waiting. Benny, don't you ever blow your horn when you come to a crossing? Blow my. Oh, I get it. Well, I figured it didn't mean nothing. See, there ain't no moon out. Have you got the wallet? Not yet, pal. You said 11 o'clock, and it's almost half past. Okay, but Coney Island's got a lot of depths, and they're spread out all over. you got to be patient, Mike. How much longer? Listen, i got a couple of dozen guys working right now. Stick around for a little while. You ain't got nothing to lose with that tomato. I'll see you later. Where you going? My boss gets worried when he don't know what I'm doing. So long. Now, Mike, where were we? What do you mean, Helen? When we were so rudely interrupted with a report about nothing. Oh, let's go home, huh? But, Mike... Well, it's a long trip, honey, and I've got to be at the station house at 8 o'clock in the morning. But your wallet... Then he can send it to me. He knows where. What was that? Thunder, baby, and we'll have to run. I hope it pours. Help me out. All right, come on. I hope it pours for 40 days and 40 nights. Let's go. Wait a minute. We can't leave that girl sleeping there on the beach. No. No, I'm going to wake her up. Oh, of course. Oh, don't be unreasonable, Helen. There's going to be a storm. How would you like to get drenched? Why wait for a storm? You can dampen my spirit. Uh-oh. What's the matter? It's raining. Already? I just felt a drop on my nose. Let's get out of here, Mike. Wait a minute, dear. Oh, excuse me, lady. I think you'd better... Uh, miss. Miss. Why don't you just yell in her ear? I don't think it would do any good, Helen. Well, truck it and find out. I just felt another drop. You just can't wake up the dead by making a lot of noise. Huh? Mike, she isn't... She is, Helen. From head to foot. The poor kid. 
And to think we were sitting only 30 feet away on the same beach. Well, she was dead before we got here, Helen. I'll never forgive myself, Mike, the way I talked about her. But if it hadn't been for that storm that never broke... I... Mike, I feel terrible. Well, here's something to keep you busy. Her handbag? Yeah, look through it. She might have some identification. All right. I should get to a call box, you know. The local police might hear about this. I'm not staying here alone. I don't know what there is about the dead that scares people. Are you sure she was murdered, Mike? Her skull was crushed with a sandbag. I can't believe a little thing like that could kill anybody. Well, this little thing weighs about ten pounds, honey, and it's packed solid. Well, Mike. What's the matter? Look, your wallet. Well, I'll be... It was in her handbag. Give it to me. Of all things, that girl, a pickpocket. 20, 25, 30, It sort of shatters your faith in people, doesn't it? 40, so young and so pretty. 40, 40. It's all here, Helen. What's all here? My money. Oh, that's good. Well, aren't you glad? I'm too busy wondering about human nature. Postpone it until we get a line on the girl. Come on, keep looking in her handbag. Mike, darling, you may be a detective, but... Then I'll look. That's your job. Oh, dear, a pickpocket. Mike, what kind of people murder pickpockets? All kinds. Well, I mean, pickpockets are the lowest kind of crooks, the bottom of the underworld. They don't work in mobs, do they? Sometimes. Hmm. Maggie Blake. What's that? A name on this identification card. A pickpocket with a... It doesn't make sense, Mike. It never does, honey, until you know what it's all about. Do you? No, but I'm going to find out. That's nice. Where do we start? First, we head to a call box. Get the homicide squad working. As long as we do it together, dear. And after that, we're going to Josie Johnson's Palace of Joy. We're going where? Read it. It's on this business card I found in Maggie Blake's handbag. Oh. Well, as long as they advertise, it should be all right, shouldn't it? Helen, what's wrong with you? You'll never know, Mike, what I thought you were talking about. It's you. I'm glad to see you again. Where have you been keeping yourself? I went out for a walk, Josie. You're a liar. Hey, now look. I said you're a liar. What are you going to do about it? We're, uh, we're doing pretty good business, Josie. So what? Suckers like the show we give them. I give them. You're only window dressing like a husband should be. But you're not even good window dressing. Uh, put that bottle back. I haven't had a drink all night, Josie. Put it back and lock that drawer. Oh, just one. There's the key on top of the desk. Use it. Between you and me, I don't care if you drink yourself into pink elephants. But you talk when you're drunk. And that's bad for me. I don't know why I've got to take it from you. Stop any time you want. There's a bed at the bottom of the ocean. Now, give me that key. I started this business. It was my idea to set up the show. That was so long ago, you've died a hundred times since. Where have you been for the last three hours? I told you. Just walking around, huh? Inhaling the fresh Coney Island air. I got tired sitting around in the office watching you run you things. You said you were going out front for a couple of minutes to look around. So I went for a walk. What's the difference? Came back and you weren't here, so I went out again. How's uh, Maggie Blake? What? Don't look so dumb. You were out with her, weren't you? No. Pete, this is Josie you're talking to, your wife. I've known you for a long time. I haven't seen the girl, I tell you. You, you want me to lay you off, and I, I... Was she here? Are you kidding? Well, didn't she even bring in the take? Are you calling me a cheat? No, no, wait, wait, Josie, wait a minute. You you know I don't think you're a doubler, but Maggie always comes in a few times like the others, and she's pretty regular. 
She was too busy tonight. Not with me. Shut up, Pete. You're through making a monkey out of me. Josie, you're all wrong. Everybody I... on the island's talking about you and Maggie. I'm telling you for the last time, I don't like it. I don't like people feeling sorry for me. Well, why don't you give her the air? Because she knows too much. Uh, Palace of Joy. Josie Johnson talking. Uh, this is Bunny. I got a message for Pete. What is it? Tell him I can't find Maggie Blake. That's all. That's enough, Benny. Nice going, Pete. Huh? When did you decide to use Benny as a stooge? What do you mean, Joe? What do you take me for, a two-year-old? You think I start believing because Benny calls up and says you've had him looking for Maggie? Is that what he just told you? You cheap chisel sneak! <laughs> now get out of here. Go out front and help take tickets. I'm sorry you did that, Josie. Go on, go on. I get sick looking at you. You've been having things your own way too long, baby. Look out you don't drop dead one of these days. <laughs> You're very funny, Pete. Yeah, yeah. I'm a real comedian, but don't laugh too hard. You're liable to fall out of this world. There should be an office here, Helen. Another door besides the main entrance from the street. Should be don't count. So this is the Palace of Joy. Who's crazy, Mike? The world? I've got no time to think about it now. Oh, excuse me. The pickpocket squad has to solve a murder. First light can wait. I tell you, Maggie Blake, it's something to do with this place. Just because you found that business card in her handbag. Maybe. You're driving without lights, darling. Business cards don't prove... Say, Mike. Hmm? There's Benny. Where? Talking to that man by that puppet stage. Well, that's funny. I was looking over there only a minute ago. I didn't see anyone. It could be magic, you know. Ah, this must be the place he works in. And maybe that's Josie Johnson he's talking to. Come on, we'll ask him a few questions about Maggie Blake. Anything you say, dear, you're the law. But who would come here to see a puppet show? This isn't exactly a playground for kids. Oh, you beginning to get ideas, too? It just hit me, all of a sudden. Maybe the shows they put on here are not for kids. You know. I've been around, sweetheart. What? Concentrate on Benny and his partner. They've seen us and they've stopped talking. Hiya, Mike. How'd you and the doll find out about me in the palace? You've been, uh, asking questions? We found a card in the storm, Benny. Storm? What you talking about, Mike? There ain't been no storm. Who's this guy, Benny? Give me a chance. I'll introduce you to him. Pete, this is Mike Donahue, a deck from Times Square. Pleased to meet you. Pickpocket squad. Dame's his girlfriend. Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoy yourselves. I'll be seeing you. Just a minute. I've seen you before someplace. Were you over in the lineup at police headquarters? Who, me? What's your full name? Pete. Peter Blake. Mike. Peter Blake, eh? Any relation to Maggie? Yeah. Yeah, she's my niece. But she's not in trouble, is she, Mr. Donahue? Not anymore. Benny, where do I find Josie Johnson? The boy? Mm-hmm. I don't get it, Mike. You're acting just like a cop on the prowl. You recognize all the signs, don't you? Get Josie Johnson. The boss ain't here. Benny, you want me to be nice to you? I'm telling the truth, Mike. I came back looking for the boss myself. Pete told That's me. That's right, Mr. Donahue. Now, now, would you mind? I'd, I'd like to know about my niece. She's been murdered, Mr. Blake. Murdered? Yeah. You're kidding, Mike. Not that cute little kid that used oh, to... Oh, Maggie. Take Maggie. it easy, Pete. That's not going to get you no price. Oh, but why? Why should anybody kill Maggie? She never... 
Mr. Donahue, where is she? At the morgue by now. Would you like to tell me what she never did? I'm going to claim her body. I'll see you later if she's still here. Mike, you're not letting him go, are you? Why not, Helen? But he didn't even ask how his niece was killed. I noticed it. I noticed the tears, too. They were the kind you find on a crocodile. So, why didn't you hold him? Darling, a policeman doesn't hold everybody. Does he, Benny? Well, pick on me, Mike. I don't know nothing about it. Sure. Okay, so don't give me the eye like I was ready for the wagon. I'm on your side, ain't I? I'm trying to get your wallet back for you, ain't I? Keep trying, Benny. Okay, I'll go out and contact some more depth. Stick around. I'll let you know what comes up. Mike, why didn't you tell him you've got the wallet? And Benny would have stuck around, too. And I think we ought to be alone. Here, with all these people? They won't pay any attention to us. They're too busy having fun. Well, we're going to get busy, too. What do you mean? How did Benny and Pete get to this puppet stage without my seeing Magic? Maybe. But I've got a hunch. We find out how, and we'll find out why and who killed Maggie Blake. Sneaking in through that alley door. There's a dick out front, Josie. Yeah? He was asking for you. Benny and I played dumb. We didn't tell him you were here in the office. What was he asking for me for? Murder. Huh? Maggie Blake. You killed her, Josie. Have you gone crazy? <laughs> now, wait a minute. I've been Pete. waiting a long time, baby. You shouldn't have done it. You're going to have to leave town now. We'll see about that. That was some act you put on before. Getting hot because I was out with Maggie. But you knew I wasn't, didn't you, Josie? You knew she was dead. You knew exactly where she was because you'd left her Hello, there. Express. I want the city editor. You thought please. I was sweet on her. Well, sure I was. I was nuts about her. But you didn't have to kill her. She was going to get married. Yeah, yeah, she found herself a boyfriend, a good, clean kid. She was going to quit the racket. She told me this afternoon, Josie. City editor, this is Josie Johnson. I own the Palace of Joy. I've just been to... All right, I'll wait. I wasn't going to tell you about it. I was going to let her get away first. I was going to make sure she lived to get married, but Shut Julia... up, Pete. Hello? Yeah, Josie Johnson. I've just been told that one of my employees was murdered. Maggie Blake. Uh-huh. Uh, on the beach? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Well, it checks, don't it, Angel? She was slugged with a sandbag, Pete. How soon are you going, Josie? Going where? Away. You're not waiting for the cops, are you? I didn't kill her. That dick out front thinks you did. He asked for you. Yeah, and you told him I wasn't here. You wanted him to think I'd taken a powder. Why don't you? I'll give you enough dough to get out of the country. You give me? This is my show now. Meet the new boss. You don't say. Yeah, I do... That's for the new boss, Pete. Why, you red-headed... What's that? Uh, come on, open up! Detective, right down you. Who told me about that door behind the puppet stage? I'm not waiting to find out. So long, Josie, and good burning to you. Not as long as you're alive, Pete. Don't run so fast, baby. You'll go through the wall. Open that door and let's get out of here. I'm glad you built that other door solid. For a louse, you used to have good ideas. Look around before you go into that alley. It's clear. Got the keys. Come on, come on, have you got them? I got them. Okay, give them to me. I'll lock this door on the outside. Shh. 
Boy, whoever put that door up... Mike, you're wonderful. Tell that to my commissioner. There was a man and woman in here. We heard the voices. Locked. They didn't go out this way. You said there was something behind that puppet stage. But why an office? What kind of a business would they... That door over there. It's the only way out. Mike, is there something in this palace of joy besides uh, uh, joy? Well? Flight of steps going down the cellar. Are we going down that flight? Yeah. Here's the light switch. Oh, I'd feel a lot safer, Mike, if there were more than two of us. Let's not think about that now. Come on, follow me. Mike. Stop worrying, Helen. There's nobody down here. How can you be so sure? All these boxes piled in rows up to the ceiling. Suppose those two people are behind one of these rows. They're not waiting to see the whites of our eyes, honey. If they were down here, they... Wait a minute. I'd rather go, Mike. Sandbag. Just like the one Maggie Blake was killed with. What difference does it make? There's a puppet stage upstairs. Why can't they keep an extra sand? Oh. Oh. I see what you mean. Thanks. You're almost as slow as I am. Sandbags are used to hold down the curtain. The one on the beach had to come from here. But there are other puppet shows at Coney Island. But only one palace of joy that Maggie Blake was connected with. We met her uncle upstairs, remember? Yes, dear. Uh, shall we go now? Not yet. Must be some way that man or woman got out. Let's turn this corner. I'm sure we won't find prosperity. <gasps> those men! <laughs> all those men standing against the wall! What's the matter with you, Helen? Can't you see they're only dummies? I don't care that they are. I'm not taking another step. All right, stay here. With pleasure. Those filthy, horrible-looking things. Yeah, I can tell you exactly what they are. Helen, where are you? Sitting down, Mike, behind the pile of boxes. Well, listen, these are training dummies. The kind they uh, old-time pickpockets used to, to teach newcomers. Come over here, and I'll show you the lights that flash on when the student is clumsy. Hmm. Palace of Joy, huh? Hmm. Josie Johnson's running a school for pickpockets. That means that Benny is Figure one of the... Figure it out for yourself, Cupcake. Hmm? My, do you look surprised. Who are you? Josie Johnson. Now, turn around, Mike, and I'll take your pretty thirty-eight out of your pretty holster. Uh-uh. Just keep your hands up high. Where's Helen, the girl that was down She's here? She's resting. She collided with the butt of my gun, and it uh, knocked her out. Why did you do it? I got jealous. You're uh, such a handsome guy for a cop. You know all about me, eh? Not all, Cupcake. Give me time. I've only just met you. I'm going to go look for Helen. Not without my commission. Now, listen, she might be barely hurt. She'll recover in time for the wedding. How would you like to be a hero? You make a practice of hitting women on the head. Mike, I'm trying to get you a medal. I know who killed Maggie Blake. Yeah? I guess it was somebody else, wasn't it? It was. And if you'll go quietly, I'll take you right to him. Where? He's in my apartment. And he's dying to meet you. Go ahead, Cupcake. Turn the knob. How about the key, Josie? I never lock my door. I'm a free trader. Okay. Forward, Mike. I'll be right behind you. Loaded to the hilt. You're so persuasive. You'll admit I've got a way about me. Yeah, so I see. Hm. Is that the guy who's dying to meet me? That's him. Sprawled out over that table, drunk again. Pete. Hey, Pete. Say, that's Maggie Blake's uncle. What? Who told you that? He did. Well, he'll tell you differently. That's Pete Johnson, my husband. Wake him up. Well, I'll get him to sit up first. <laughs> A knife in his chest. Pete! You can't hear you, Josie. He's dead. Killed himself. Yeah. He couldn't take the rap. 
He must have done it just before we came in. He's still got his fingers around the knife. Will you stop kidding me? Uh, what do you mean? Your initials are on the handle. J.J. So what? The knife was on that table and he took it. Josie, you ought to know what happens right after a person dies. He's dead, so? His body relaxes. If Pete killed himself, he wouldn't be holding on to the knife. Huh? You catch on fast, don't you? Pete's fingers were wrapped around that knife after he was killed. You're not going to say I did it, Mike. Who else? You brought me here to arrest Pete for murder. But you knew he was already dead. Set up to look like suicide. You're raving, mister. That was going to be your alibi. Pete couldn't take the rap. Your own words, Josie. Yeah. Well. Huh. How many bullets do I get? I ought to give them all to you, both guns. That means I get a hero's funeral. Turn around and walk to that wall. I get it in the back, huh? Gangster style. That wall, Mike. All right. But remember, no practice shots. You're pretty cool for tamale. Death in the line of duty. It makes great newspaper copy. Turn your face to the wall. Now, just stand there and don't move, and don't look. So long, cupcake. Hey, what's the idea? Josie, you'll never get out of New York, you know that. Well, and she told me she never locks her door. Oh, it's all right, Helen. Everything's all right now. Mike, what hit me? The butt of a gun. Next time you'll stick close to me. Who did? It's Josie Johnson. She locked me in her apartment. Oh. Lucky for me, there was a window facing a street. You should have heard me yell. Josie Johnson. Mike, did you say she? Mm-hmm. Her glamorous redhead. Mike. Somebody's down here. The redhead? I don't know. These boxes are in the way. Can they get up without screaming? If you help me. All right, I'll leave you down. Oh. Oh. Ooh. I made it. Come on, on your toes. No more talk. It's Josie. She's got two guns. One of them is mine. Going someplace, Benny? Uh, look out, Mike. She's got a gun on her You'll never get a chance to use it, will you, Benny? Uh, I got my hand. I got the gun. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that was you in the car, Mike. I wouldn't pull no gun on you. But you did. That's a lot of money you packed into that suitcase. You expect to spend it in one hey, lifetime? You gotta listen to me, Mike. I don't got it, pal, but I'll be glad to. Look, I found out that Josie and Pete was operating a pickpocket school. When the kids was ready, they used to send them out to dip. Tell me about the money. Well, the kids used to bring in the whole take to Josie. She'd give them a cut and put the rest of it in that hole behind that hunk of concrete. How does a barker find out about such things, Benny? I heard Josie and Pete talking. And you knew exactly where to go for the money. You gotta listen to me, Mike. I ain't no killer. Come on, let's take a walk. No, wait, I don't I don't want that though. I I, I was just gonna take it because well, you know, it was there and I, I figured You should have made sure Pete was dead before you left him. What? It's not so easy to find the heart with a knife. Sometimes you're missed by a fraction of an inch. And you wind up in the electric chair. What are you giving me, Mike? Pete Johnson. Otherwise known as Peter Blake. Famous uncle. He ain't dead. He is now. But a lot of people heard his dying statement. Would you like to know what it was? You're kidding me. Don't look around, Benny. There's no way out of this cellar except through me. You're kidding me, you dirty copy. You're kidding me. Let's go, Weasel. The show's over. And you put on a pretty good one. It's too bad for you it didn't click. part of going to Coney Island, the ride home in the subway. Yeah. Oh, well, Benny's confession sort of makes it worthwhile. 
Imagine that chipmunk having the whole thing planned from the beginning. Yeah. Picking your pocket and then asking us to meet him on the beach where he'd left Maggie Blake's dead body. What a character. And all for a few measly dollars. Thirty thousand. I even thought he'd get away with it. You'd suspect Josie and Pete Johnson of Maggie's murder and he'd be... Mike... You didn't tell me how he got to Pete to kill him. I guess I'll have to, won't I? Well, he followed them to their apartment after they left the office. Yes. Then he phoned Josie and told her to help him frame Pete. She came back to the palace looking for me. Well, the rest is history. Yes, but Mike, what made you suspect Benny? Two things, sweetheart. Josie had a chance to kill me and didn't. And Benny going for the money in the wall. Uh, can I go to sleep now, dear? One more thing. What happened to Josie? She was picked up. Now, darling. All right, honey. Mike. Hmm? Is this your wallet? Where'd you get it? Out of your hip pocket. For a member of the pickpocket squad, you are about the easiest pickings I've ever known. Good night, dear. <laughs> And so closes tonight's story, Coney Island Nocturne. Stedman Coles wrote the radio script. Roger Bauer produced and directed. Walter Kinsella played Mike Donahue. Joan Alexander was Helen O'Malley. Jean Ellen was heard as Josie Johnson. Bill Quinn was Peter Johnson. And Joseph Julian was Benny Gould. Oh, I beg your pardon. Hello, I hope I haven't kept you waiting. Yes, this is the crime club. I'm the librarian. Yes. Come over a week from tonight. Good. We have the very exciting story of a sparkle that bloomed into murder. It's called Death Deals a Diamond. In the meantime... Well, in the meantime, there is a new crime club book available this week and every week at bookstores everywhere. Yes, it's available now. Fine. And we'll look for you next week. This program came from New York. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. case closed for this week i'll be back next wednesday with another episode in between now and then you can find more from this is your fbi the crime club case closed all the other relic radio podcasts and our shoutcast stream all at relicradio.com while you're there if you'd like to donate and help support this and all of the shows you can do so by visiting donate.relicradio.com or clicking on one of the links on the website your support makes it all happen thanks to those who have helped out thanks for joining me this week Talk to you again next Wednesday with another episode of Case Closed. Mm-hmm.